0: Oh, praise God. Yeah, and that, that's thats what I want for us to see Jesus today, you know, because we want to magnify the law, don't we? It's all about God. It's not about us. So as Pastor said, um, my job as an evangelist and a teacher, I get to travel to many places around the world. And since I was with you 18 months ago, the Lord has allowed me to minister in places like Nepal uh Myanmar uh, several times to Africa in Zambia and last month just before Christmas I was in Zanzibar uh next week next Tuesday I fly out to the Ukraine for a, a mission there at the end of February beginning of March I'm uh in Nepal again for my third mission uh this evening I'll be showing a quick uh PowerPoint presentation on the last Mission to uh, to Nepal because some of you will know Russ Russ Boya he's coming with me to Nepal this time and then in April I'm off to Africa again and uh, in all of this time we've seen some wonderful wonderful things happen we've seen thousands and thousands of people respond to the gospel we've seen thousands of people healed and set free from all kinds of problems as we've travelled. But I go to some of these places that are not the most pleasant places in the world. There's very often Christian persecution. Uh, When I was in uh, uh, Africa just a few weeks ago, I was in this uh, particular part of the country and it's predominantly Muslim. And many of the Christians are attacked in the streets and uh, the police don't do anything about it because the police are Muslim. Uh, Many of the pastors, not many, but several of the pastors have been killed. Churches have been burnt down. Um, And that is everyday life for the Christians in this particular part of the country. That I was in the missionaries I was working with don 't want me to mention too much because they don 't want anything that's maybe recorded and put on the internet and word gets gets back to this particular region that there's missionaries working there and Christian work happening there and uh, pray for me when I go to Ukraine. Ukraine is still heavily contaminated after the Chernobyl disaster in 1986. I know it seems a long time ago, but uh, apparently I was watching a program about it the other day, and it's going to take thousands of years for the radiation to go back to normal. The church there suffers persecution. Um, I was in Belarus as well, which is just north of of Ukraine a couple of years ago. And the persecution is, is different than in other countries. Uh, many of the buildings are state owned and therefore they have uh, heating coming into the buildings. But what the state does of these churches, churches like this, not the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox, but Pentecostal churches, the government shuts off the heating to the churches. And at this time of year, it's about minus 10, minus 18 in these countries. And then they send the fire brigade in, and they hose the churches down, so they're covered in ice uh, leading up to it, and all the brickwork is covered in ice. And so it's absolutely freezing cold in there, no heating uh, and that's just one way that the government persecutes the, the church in, in this part of the world. So, you know, we're really blessed in this country. And uh, when I come back from some of these places where the food and the accommodation isn't too good, you know, I, I, I kind of get home after a week or ten days and I sit in the bath and I'm like, Lord, thank you for hot water. Thank you for a bath. The things that we take for granted so, as I say, I'm going to show a presentation this evening um, about some of the work that we do and the, the orphanage that we have in Nepal. I'm going to do something different tonight. Tonight is going to be teaching. This morning is going to be preaching. I hope that's okay. So, as uh, Pastor said, my name is Paul Duckworth. Who are you? What's your identity? You know, there's an awful lot of problem today in the world, in the church, where there's an identity crisis. But who are we? Who are we in God and who are we in our day-to-day life? I saw something on the news the other day in in America. And uh, birth certificates now are going to be male, female, and other. I mean, to me, that's just an attack on the Word of God. The Word of God said that we are made male and female, created in the image of God. So there's male and there's female. There's no other. God said, you know, male and female. But when we look in the mirror, who do we see? Do we have an identity crisis? Do we have a godly self-image? When we look at the mirror, the person looking back at us, do we talk to them and say, you are made in the image of God. You are godly. You are here because God has created you. You know, the Bible says that it reflects the image of God to us. When we read the Bible, we can see the image of God. So when we read the Bible, can we see ourselves in the Bible? I was uh, in, in Southport years ago in, in the ground, and they had a hall of mirrors. Anyone been in one of those halls of mirrors? They're great fun, aren't they? And some of these mirrors, they make your head look really big. Some of them make you look inches small and some of them make you look really fat. And, and there was one mirror, I was standing in front of this mirror for a while, and I'm looking at it, it kind of makes makes fat people thinner and, and small people tall. I'm looking at this mirror, saying to my wife, I said, I look really good in this mirror. I wonder if I could take you home. You know? And uh, of course, you know, that was there. And I was seeing something that wasn't quite me. It's maybe how I would like to look, Lose a few pounds, or more than a few pounds after Christmas. Maybe lose a stone or two. Kind of get slimmer. That's what we see in the mirror is what we want to be. This tells us how God wants us to be. So the more time we spend in the Word of God, we will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. The book of Romans chapter 12 tells us this. So do we have a godly self-image? A godly identity? Or are we influenced by what we see on the television? There's there's been adverts criticised. Left, right and center for showing ladies being a size 8 or whatever. Men being all muscly and having abs and designer stubble and all of this. And if you don't match up to that image of what the world tells us, we feel like we're a failure. No wonder there's so many men in this country under the age of 50 committing suicide. Because they see these images, and then they look in the mirror, and they say, I'm nothing like how the world says I should be. And then they feel rejected, dejected, they feel a failure. But if you look into the Word of God, we can see how God wants us to be. Joshua and Caleb, if we turn in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 13. Let me just give you an overview of this. God had told the Israelites to go into the promised land. And God had told Moses to choose 12 spies, a leader of each of the tribes, to go in and look at the land. And as they go and look at the land, they see giants, they see walled cities, they see great armies... And then they come back and they give this report. Ten of the spies give this factual report. Now it is a factual report because there were giants, there were armies, there were walled cities. But God said, go in, I have given you this land. And in chapter 13, verse 32, it says, And they, speaking of the ten spies, brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched. Hang on a minute. It says here in the King James, an evil report of what they had seen. But if you read back a few verses, it tells you exactly what they had seen. Why was it an evil report? Because their report says, we cannot go in because they are too strong for us. God said, you can go in. You see, they were speaking in opposition to what God said. And if you speak in opposition to what God said, that is evil. Anything that contradicts the word of God is evil, which is why it says they brought up an evil report. And in verse thirty. Three, it says, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were, listen to this carefully, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. You know, how you see yourself can influence how others see you. They saw themselves as no good nobodies, like grasshoppers. And then it says, and that is how they saw us too. If you see yourself as God sees you, other people will see the God in you. If you see yourself as grasshoppers, grasshoppers, what are they? They're nothing. Oh, I've eaten grasshoppers. I've been to Africa many, many times. I've eaten grasshoppers. We stopped off at one of these roadside I don't know, cafe is, is too good a word for it, but we stopped off and they had this big, big frying pan and they were taking the wings off grasshoppers and throwing them in the oil, putting them in a plastic bag, putting some salt on and selling them to us. And so we, we went, we got out the car, we bought some of these and we're biting into these hot, crispy grasshoppers covered in salt. You know, that's just the equivalent in Uganda. Well, we were of a bag of crisps. Let that sink in. Grasshoppers were eaten just as we in England would eat crisps. So here, when it says, and we were like grasshoppers, we had the value of a grasshopper. That's what they're saying to me when I read that. It's saying, we've got the value of a bag of crisps. Can you imagine having a value of yourself, a bag of crisps? What? What's that, 50p? A pound for a bag of crisps? That's the value they placed upon themselves, was the value of a bag of crisps. They're nothing, they're nobody. They did not have a godly self-image. They saw themselves as no good, nobodies, and therefore not able to receive what God has given them. I seem to remember being here a few years ago teaching on on Mephibosheth. Yeah? Is that right? And it's interesting. Mephibosheth, like them, saw himself as a dead dog. He saw himself as a servant. And because of how he saw himself, it hindered his ability to receive from God. Whereas Joshua and Caleb didn't have any inability to receive because they said we can go in, we can defeat them because God has said. You know, if God has said something to us, if we are in agreement with God, if we position ourselves as God tells us to position ourselves, we will have success because we are doing what God said in His power. Judges chapter 6, we all know the story of Gideon. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. God called him a mighty man of valour. You see, God saw him as a mighty man. But how did Gideon see himself? When Gideon looked in the mirror, did he see a mighty man of valor? Let's just see verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And were be all his miracles, which our fathers told us, and so on and so forth. He had a negative self-image. His perception of himself hindered God's ability to work in him and through him. You know, that's the problem that many of us have. The perceptions that we have. Sometimes the perceptions that other people have of us. When I first mentioned that I was going to start traveling the world, preaching the gospel and seeing thousands of people saved, you know, the response that was met by people in my church was, who are you? We've known you for 20 years. You've done nothing. You're a nobody. You've got nothing special. You don't talk good. You've got no education. You haven't been to Bible college. What have you got? You know, almost like putting me down, and yet God said, I have chosen you, and this is what I want you to do. He went on to say, in verse 15, And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, he's saying, I'm the worst of a bad lot. My family is no good. We're the littlest family, the no-goodest family in the whole of Israel, and I'm the worst of the worst he was in direct contradiction to what God said. I wonder if we can think back on some of the promises that God has given us over the years. And we've turned around and said, I couldn't do that, God. I'm a nobody. How on earth can I do that? You know, like Mephibosheth, Gideon, like the ten spies who brought the evil report, they are putting themselves in a position whereby they cannot receive from God. And because they can't receive from God, they're not doing anything for God. You know, God had to tell them and tell them, here with Gideon. It's interesting that God just ignored his negativity and continued with the positive. Yes, you can do it. I will be with you. The angel will strengthen you, etc., etc., etc. And it took a while for God to convince Gideon that he could actually do all of the things that God had told Gideon to do. Are we like that? What mirror are we looking in? You know, uh, talking of mirrors, I remember uh, ministering in, in Russia. And they had this drug rehabilitation center. And as you walked in, On the wall, there was a broken mirror. And it had been broken on purpose and glued back onto the wall. And so when you come in, you see a physically broken image of yourself. You know, you kind of got an eye's up here, and then your nose is split, and your mouth's down here, and one ear's up there, and the other ear is here. And you look at yourself, and it's a completely distorted image, which reflects what's inside you. But a year later when they graduated from this program and they left the rehab center on the way out was a beautiful mirror and it says the real you. And so when they looked at this mirror they could see this perfect image of how they looked and that reflected the change that had happened on the inside of them. So how do we see ourselves when we look in the mirror? Are we a no good grasshopper? Are we a dead dog? Are we a servant? Or are we a prince or a princess of the living God? You know, if God is the king, and he is, and we are his children, which we are, the children of a king are princes and princesses. You know, you guys, next time you look in the mirror, you need to say, I'm a handsome prince. Ladies, I'm a beautiful princess. Have to be careful who will look out when I say that, ladies, you're a beautiful princess. If my wife was here, she'd be, uh, she can't be with you this morning. She, she, um, she would love to come, but uh, as I'm going on a mission on Tuesday, there's a few people in my church who want to give me money. And uh, so I said, I can't be in my church, but my wife will be there to take your money to give to me so I can go on this mission. So that's why she's not here. She's getting money to give me for this mission, so I don't know why you're laughing. It's true, you know. She is because these things cost. These missions cost thousands and thousands of pounds. Some of them four or five thousand pounds for one mission. You're away for a week or so, five thousand pounds. Some of them you're away for three or four days, and it still costs fifteen hundred pounds or thereabouts. So expensive things these missions. So what is? our godly self-image like? Is it like that? Are we like these people? Do we put ourselves in a position where we can receive? What have I got in my pocket here? Oh, we've got a pound coin here. Pastor, catch. Now, what has Pastor done? He's put down his phone. He's put his hands together. What does that tell you? He's put himself in a position to receive. And he's just received a one pound coin. You are one pound richer now, sir. As a result, I notice your wife reaching over there to try and grab that. and It's quickly got in your pocket. A little bit of prayer needed later, maybe. But pastor put himself in a position to receive what I wanted to give him. If pastor had not have done that... There's another pound coin. If pastor keeps his hands together and I just throw, a pound coin has ended up on the floor. You see, what I wanted pastor to have, pastor hasn't got, it's on the floor. Why? Because he didn't put himself in a position to receive. The Bible tells us that God wants us to be in a position to receive. That's what we've seen looking at Gideon. That's what we've seen looking at the spies. That's what we've seen through Mephibosheth. They were all in positions where they struggled to receive what God had because their self-image was so negative that they thought, who am I that God is going to do anything through me? And the church, by and large, is very much like that. I'm a no-good nobody with no education, no experience, no training, no one to support me. How can I make a difference for God? You know, if I'd have had that attitude 12 years ago, I'd have still been in a wheelchair, and when I got out walking with the stick, etc., etc. I had no one to support me. I had nowhere to go, but God said... I want to send you around the world. Since then, in the past 12 years or so, I've been on 30-something missions to, I don't know, 20 countries all over the world. Why? Because I put myself in a position to receive. I studied the Word. I saw the value that God placed on me. What was that value? It was His only Son, Jesus Christ. God placed sufficient value on me that He allowed His Son to die to redeem me. And He's done the same for each and every one in this church and all over the world. You know, we're no different. I've just put myself in a position where I can receive and I can look at the mirror and I can say, God, thank you for creating me. I am a handsome prince. Now my wife said I look very handsome this morning with my suit on and shirt and tie, uh, which is nice. So, And she wouldn't lie after 31 and a half years of marriage. So if she thinks I'm handsome after 31 and a half years, you guys must think I'm handsome too, right? Come on, indulge me. David had no problem. David had no problem at all seeing himself as God saw him. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'll just give you an overview of this. Time is is running away. Dear, oh dear. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We know this. In chapter 15, Saul had sinned. Now God was fed up with Saul. And so he says to Samuel the prophet... Go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. Wow. So Samuel goes down to Bethlehem. He goes into the house of Jesse and says, One of your sons is going to be the king. I'm going to anoint him. Jesse says, Wow he got seven of his sons. Big, strong, strapping young men. Comes up to Eliab. Surely it must be him. God says, no. And the next one, and the next one. No, no, no. All seven of them, no. Samuel says to Jesse, don't you have any other sons? Oh, yes. There's little David. Little teenage lad, just looking after the sheep. And he says, Go and get him. I love what Samuel said to Jesse and to all of the brothers. Samuel says, do not sit down. We will all stand until David comes in our presence. Why? Because he is the king. He was going to be the king. And you stand in the presence of the king. And so David leaves the sheep, comes in, and God says to Samuel, this is the one, anoint him. He poured the horn of oil all over him and said, you're going to be the king. Scholars tell us that David was about 15, 16 or thereabouts. And yet he wasn't crowned king until he was 30 years of age. So he waited from when he was 15 or 16 until when he was 30, until he actually became crowned king. What did he do in the meantime? He went back to looking after the sheep. Now of all of these people who had the opportunity to have a negative self-image, it was David. His dad had forgotten all about him. His dad didn't even have him in the lineup of possible candidates to be king. Ah oh, David, he's too young. It can't be him. And none of the brothers stood up and said, Dad... Dad, you've forgotten about David. Talk about brotherly love. They didn't want, hang on, if David comes, there's one less, you know, more chance of me becoming king if David stays out there. David was forgotten by his dad, rejected by his brothers. And yet, he'd been praising God, looking after the sheep, writing the Psalms. And he goes back to doing the same thing. He had a great opportunity to have a negative self-image. Daddy would forgotten all about me. But he didn't. Because he knew his God. And I believe in all of these times as David was growing up, he's writing the Psalms, he's playing on his harp, he's singing at the top of his voice to God. And then in chapter 30, 1 Samuel and chapter 30, Let's just turn there. First Samuel chapter 30. If you're not familiar with this, the overview of this is that um, the Amalekites had come and Ziklag had been destroyed. All of the soldiers, David's men, all of their wives and children and stuff had been taken by the Amalekites. And so Ziklag was in flames. And the people started to talk about killing David. And in First Samuel chapter 30, And verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. It says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In other words, David didn't see himself as a dead dog. David didn't see himself as a no-good do- nobody. David saw himself as the king. David saw himself and he remembered past victories. He remembered about David and Goliath, that story in 1 Samuel 17. He remembered all the other victories he'd had as king. He remembered how he'd um, fought the lion, how he'd fought the bear. He remembered all of these great victories of the past. And we know that he kept Goliath's armor. And he probably started to sing to himself some of these songs that he had written to encourage himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Friends, that's the answer. We need to be encouraging ourselves in the Lord God. When things start going negative, when people start talking about us, we need to be throwing up our arms and singing praises to God. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be looking in that spiritual mirror and saying, I'm a handsome prince. I'm a beautiful princess. I'm made in the image of God. God loves me. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for me. I have great value in the sight of God. This is what we need to be doing. Now you may turn around and say, Ah, oh, Paul, that's all right. I mean, these people are great people in the Bible. Hang on a minute. Let's go to Second Kings and chapter 5. Second Kings and chapter 5. There's some great stories in this chapter. Second Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, tells us that Naaman, the captain of the Assyrian army was a leper. And of course he didn't want to have leprosy. Now his wife had a servant who was an Israelite, a Hebrew, taken from Israel, a young girl, maybe 13, 14 years of age, taken from Israel all the way, 600, 800 miles away from her home, weeks and weeks worth of travel, where they spoke another language, where they had a different culture, where they worshipped other gods, where she wasn't allowed to worship her God. And yet, she says to her mistress, verse 3, And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Wow, a young little 13, 14 year old servant girl has the courage in her God to say, my God has got this servant called Elisha back home and he will heal your husband. Just think of that. She has such courage as a young girl to stand up to her mistress and say, your husband's going to get healed. Wow. I was at a healing meeting we had in my church just before I went to Africa, and we had people inviting others. Said, "Come, come! God is going to heal you at this meeting. God is going to." Heal. And we saw some great miracles—absolutely tremendous miracles—happen at that meeting. If we move along a little bit now into um, verse thirteen, same chapter, Second Kings five, in verse thirteen, it says, "And his servants came near." and spake unto him, and said, My father, if the prophet bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? You see? They were saying, again, these two unnamed servants were saying, Hang on a minute, master. All you've been told to do is bathe in the river. If you'd been told to fight a lion, or capture a bear, or do something wonderful, you'd have done that no problem. Why can't you humble yourself and just do what the man of God says to do. And of course, he humbled himself. But these were people, servants, the young girl, and these two men. Wow. And yet, it doesn't matter if we look at David. It doesn't matter if we look at Moses. It doesn't look, matter if we look at any of these great men and women of the Bible. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 11.11. 11. We'll finish In a minute, Matthew 11.11 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Verily, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Let's just pause there for a minute. Among those born of women. I think that pretty much includes everyone that's been born on this planet in the history of this world. Everyone that's been born of a woman, and yet not one, not one is greater than John the Baptist. In other words, John the Baptist is greater than David, Moses, etc., etc. Now Jesus carries on and he says, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If you feel like a no good nobody, if you look in the mirror and you don't see a prince or a princess, if you're feeling that way today, Jesus said that you are greater because of your position, because of your covenant relationship, you are greater than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist was greater than all of those that had been born of a woman. So you are greater. Yeah, not Muhammad Ali. He's not the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. And because of Jesus and our relationship with Jesus, we now are in that position where we can receive everything. We can look at the mirror and we can say, thank you, Lord, that you created me as a handsome prince, as a beautiful princess. You know, very often we focus on what we do for God. We focus on who we are and what we're doing. Peter did this. Luke chapter 22. We're nearly finished. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 33 says this. And he said unto him, that's Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Isn't that interesting? Peter is saying, I'm going to do everything for you, Jesus. John's Gospel. Five times in John's Gospel, John called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Peter focused on his love for God. John focused on God's love for him. That's a big difference. Say that again. Peter focused on his own love for God. But John focused on God's love for him. We'll finish with this scripture. John chapter 19 and verse 26. Now despite, despite Peter's promise that he would follow Jesus everywhere, even unto death, here in John 19 and verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by him whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And as you read this and other Gospels, you will see that John was the only one at the cross. Even though Peter focused, Jesus, I love you, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Even unto death, I'll follow you. He wasn't at the cross. John, who said, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. He was the only one at the cross. Why? Because he saw himself as worthy. He saw himself not as someone doing something for God, not as someone trying to get something, but someone who says, God loves me. It's all about his love for me, not me to him. It was like he's looking in the mirror and saying, I'm a handsome prince because of what Jesus has done for me. Church today, you're all handsome princes and beautiful princesses. Amen. If you believe that, say Amen. I want to pray. And I know that even sometimes you say Amen and you don't want to not say Amen in front of everyone else. You know, I I believe we need to seal this message in the hearts of people. The Bible says that the Word of God is like a seed. Yeah, this is all in Mark chapter 4. The Word of God is like a seed. And when a seed is sown, the devil comes like the birds of the earth to steal it away immediately. But well, what we must do is to allow that seed to germinate in our hearts. So this is my prayer for you. Father God, I thank you that this word has been sown into hearts, Lord. And I pray that today, from this day forth, everyone in this church will see themselves as handsome princes, beautiful princesses. Lord God, that they would look in that mirror and say, I am made in the image of God. I am beautiful. I am divinely made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, I pray that this message would produce fruit throughout this coming year, that we may grow more and more into the image of you, Lord God. Father, I pray it in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.